This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Dig a little deeper. For two hours they were digging, nothing was happening. But then, it was enough water for everyone. Everyone has the Kayach. Yira does not mean fear. Yira means awe. Hashem doesn't want you to fear Him. That's a, that's taught in many different schools and it's really turns off a lot of kids. That there's a God in Shemayim that if you step out, you're going to get cancer. Someone's going to die. You're going to lose all your money. That's not Judaism. That is not Judaism. If you wake up in the morning, it means Hashem needs you. Hashem has nothing extra in this world. You hear this, everyone? You can never be that bad. But the Baruch will not listen to you. Never. The king can be your father. Or he's sitting on his throne in his crown, in his power, in his awesomeness. Even though he's your your father, you sort of step back. That, that's my father. He's awesome. Awesome, awesomeness brings respect. What does Hashem want from us? 2,000 years, 2,000 some odd years. We're in Gaulus, we haven't seen it. We don't have a base on Mikdash. What does he want from us? We, we have a good excuse for behaving the way we behave. And I answered him, I said, yep, we got a good excuse. But what are we doing to change it? This is a huge operation that we're going through. But in the end, when Mashiach comes, we're gonna say, now I understand. That what we thought was tragedy was really the ability to reach this point. You have been watching the best of Rabbi Wallerstein, who inspired the world with his commitment and his refusal to let even a single girl slip through the cracks for the past two decades. Rav Chaim made a bris. He was by a bridge, so the Sfadim give out. So we're going to make a bracha, and everyone can say amen. amen. Who put the smell in these leaves? But the other leaves, right next to it, they have no smell. Okay. Let's look at something else. There's no color. Earth is brown. Water is clear. Air is clear. The sun is... Yellow, but it's not really yellow. It's just from as far that we can see. How do you get a green apple? None of those elements have the color green. How do you get a star fruit? How, how does this shape? It's so different than this shape. Because Baruch Hu, you, you could have just made us apples. You didn't have to do this. So it's sort of like you took your wife out to eat for pizza. But no, you didn't take her out for pizza. You took it to the most expensive, most beautiful restaurant, and you took the whole restaurant, and they're playing, and they and you rented violins, and, and it's like you, she's like, I would have gone to the pizza shop, would have been happy, yeah, but I'm not happy. You going to the pizza shop? Hashem's like, I'm not happy. Everyone just eating a green apple, so we're gonna make a star fruit, and we're gonna make a yellow banana. There's nothing yellow in the ground. Where's the yellow banana come from? And I don't have to go further. And the apple and the plum. Now, this is my, this is my favorite. I, I, I couldn't find a flower store in Gula. It took me a long time. 
She was like, wondering, you're buying flowers for Yom Kippur? I'm like, it's, it's a long story. How many women here go to a flower store before Shabbos? Raise your hands. Do you know that this is a museum? That all these different flowers that Hashem makes? So with my, with my atheists, I'm like, red rose, purple rose, white rose. There's no red in the ground. There's no white in the ground. There's no purple in the ground. There's no red in the water. There's no red in the air. There's no red in the sun. You tell me how, if the elements that are causing this to grow, how is this yellow? And this one's ne- right next door to it is white. And this guy's pink. And this guy's hello. A yellow flower with brown in the middle. So what the Rambam's saying is the relationship with Hashem when you see a rose. Most of them don't smell anymore today. When you see a rose, it's not a rose. Connect it to a Kodesh Baruch You eat. When I was in, in Brooklyn now, we did it. I took out all these spices. Ladies, you cook with spices. It's not normal. It's not normal. Garlic, salt, nutmeg, paprika, all these different plants from the ground. Where do these tastes come from? And then Hashem had to give you a tongue. A tongue. He didn't just give you all the taste. He gave you a tongue that can tell the difference between all the tastes and pull it apart. If you have a, a soup, you can tell me, is this has garlic? Is so, so in the fruit store, you're talking to Hashem. In the flower store, you're talking to Hashem. When you're going to the doctor and you're going to the, to the eye guy, right, and he's looking into your eyes and you got pupil and all this, you're, you're, you're going to Hashem. Everything you do, you're going to Hashem. So the Rambam is saying, when you're sitting, what do you, what do you, I love you Hashem, when you're sitting, you're like, I'm sitting at a table. Who, and, and, and so, so I have to tell you a story that happened in a, in a, in a school. So I was invited to speak in a school. I'm not going to say which one. Very cultured school. And they called me up the day I was supposed to, before I came, and they said, we're sorry, we're pushing you off a day. We're going to the MoMA. We're going to the Museum of Art. I said, could I come? And they said, chas v'shalom, the, 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 the stuff you're not allowed to look at, there's naked women, and there's naked sculptures, and naked men, and I'm like, you're a yeshiva. Like, why could you go? Art. So the Satan is very smart. This stuff you would never have in your house. If your parents caught you watching this on a screen, they would throw you with the screen out. But you go to a museum, and no one's dressed. They don't put any clothing on, all right? But also, you can't go. Okay, I'm not going. I never went. I'm not going. Fine. The next day, I come to speak. And I say, no? How was it? They're like, it was great that you didn't come. <laughs> you you would have been so embarrassed. They're not embarrassed. I would have been so embarrassed. Okay. I said, so tell me, what did you see? Like, what did you see? So there's one girl in the back. says, Rabbi Wallerstein, there's a painting of a, of, a, of a lake and a farm. And the artist captured the reflection of the sun and the clouds in the lake so you see that, and you see it in the lake, and it's perfect. In the, godless. I said, it's like, it blew you away. She says, there's a lot of artwork there that blew us away. I'm like, can I ask you something? Did you ever see a lake? She, yeah. Did it blow you away? 
Did you ever say, who made this? I said, let me tell you something about an artist. Whatever he painted is not an original. It's a copy. How come the artist that created it nobody talks to? This is what the Rambam's talking about. But there's one smart girl, there's always one smart girl, sitting in the back and says, excuse me, I don't agree. I'm like, okay. She said, it's not what they painted. It's that a human being can capture what that artist captured. I'm like, and who gave that ability to the human being? Who gave the color paints for them? Who gave them the canvas? Who gave them the eye and hand coordination? Who gave them that ability? He's a copier. The human being is a copier. He's not an originator. This isn't everything in life. This isn't emotions. This isn't loving. This isn't having, you know, everyone runs to funerals. Everybody runs to funerals and everyone's bad-mouthing God. This guy died at 51. This guy died here. This guy died there. And Torah and, and what's it called? Yeshiva world is out there and everybody's like, what's with you, Hashem? How many people go to Maimonides to the nursery to see the 25 babies that were born today? And say, oh my gosh, look at these little perfect little things with five, ten fingers and little cute noses. So people, even though they throw up all the time and go to the bathroom and whine, people still love them because Hashem made them so cute. Because if they weren't cute, uh-uh. <laughs> it ain't happening. That's why people are not born as adults. Because you're going to start crying as an adult. No one's happy. No one's kidding. No one's helping you out. No one's helping you out. Adam was like that. And his children came out as adults. It stopped right away. So if anyone ever tells you there's no God, so, so what's the answer? Well, so I'm sitting in, I'm sitting in a crowd not this big, about I would say about 200 women, and I'm like, so what's the answer? The earth has no smell, has no color. Water has no smell, has no color. Air has no smell, has no color. The sun has no smell, has a color, but right. So how do you get all this? What's the answer? Anyone here know the answer? It had to be created. The elements that are keeping it alive and keeping it going and reproducing it, that is Hashkacha Pratis. But someone had to create a smell and put it in a paprika plant. And someone had to put white underneath the green of the apple that when you bite into it, it should go all over your shirt. Well, it used to. And if you have that relationship, that's the tenth parakin tshuva. Not achet. That the, the summation of tshuva is to love Hashem like you love someone and you cannot get to stop thinking about Him all day long. No matter putting your kid on the bus, doing homework, figuring out a math, whatever it is. That is the real love of Hashem. And if you come Yom Kippur, I asked my Rebbe, Rabbi Baruch Gamliel tonight, I said, what's the, what's the makshava? What's the makshava that I should be thinking about? He said, Think about bringing one more person to their father, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because that's what Ishrei Matanas Levyan. If you ask any parent in this room, what's more important? I should help you or I should help your kid? There's no parent in here that won't say, help my, help my kid. So you show Hashem love by helping his children. So this is all about love. Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is about having the most ultimate 
relationship with God that is humanly possible. And the reason you have to fast and have all those other things, because as a human being, there are too many things blocking you from having this unbelievable spiritual relationship. So we're stripping you away of your, your physical so that you can connect Hashem spiritually. Hashem Oelokim is the last thing that we say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu before Lashon HaMod Yishlam. Hashem Rachamim Oelokim I know that you're Yudke Vavke I know that you love me. I want to tell you two stories because the bottom line is that every year we're doing, we're doing, we're doing tshuva on the same stuff. Why? You might if I give a little Musa at once, he never gives Musa. I'm going to give a little Musa tonight. I'm talking to myself. Well, actually, I'm not. Because I don't have a smartphone, so I'm not talking to myself. What happens? You hear tonight, Yom Kippur, Israel, everybody, Yom Kippur, and then we just, we come back the next Yom Kippur and we start, I start looking at my al and I'm like, I did that again this year. Didn't watch my mouth, insulted this guy, thought the wrong thoughts. All the Al-Khaits, I'm like, like, I mamish didn't change one. All of them, I mamish didn't change one. So why? Why didn't I change one? So I'll tell you a fast story. So there was this boy, it's my favorite story, one of my favorite stories, because it's so true. There was this, this boy, he got a job on Wall Street, and he's 19 years old, and he's on his way to get his job, and he walks by this, this bar, this restaurant. And in the window of this restaurant is a bottle of wine. And the bottle of wine has a label, and he sticks his nose on the glass, and it says, 1875. He's like, wow, a bottle of wine from 1875. He knocks on the door, the maitre d' opens up, he says, how much, how much you selling that bottle of wine for? He goes, kid, shoo. We don't need no, we don't need any uh, waiters, busboys, get out of here. He goes, no, no, but how much you want for the bottle of wine? And he's like, $10,000, now get out of here. Every day, every day, this kid goes up to the glass and starts to talk to the bottle of wine. You know, baby, you're mine. You know we're getting married one day. Just me and you and no one else. It's going to take me a while, baby, because I can't get 10 grand together so fast to make the wedding. But the minute I have it, you're mine. And he was Meshuggah. It was his fantasy. And he would talk to this bottle every day for two years. I love you. I can't wait to open the bottle, smell the cork, drink the wine. Total out of his mind. Fixated. One day, the owner on Wall Street, where he was working, says, you know what? You're such a good worker. We're bringing you up to make you a stockbroker. Here's a bonus. And they give him an envelope. And he goes into his little cubicle, and he opens up the envelope. And there's $10,000 in the envelope. And he's like, yes, she's mine. He runs out of his room, runs to the glass, says, ah. He's shaking. Your mom is shaking. Ah, Thursday night, it's me and you, just the two of us. Goes home, calls Zeller's tuxedo, send me a tuxedo. Thursday, calls a limo, send me a limo. He's all set up. Thursday night, calls up the restaurant. Hello, it's 
French restaurant. Hi, my name is Michael. I'd like to make a reservation for one. One? Yeah, just one. Could I have a special request? Sure, what's your request? I want to sit facing the bottle of wine in the window. Okay. So, gets dressed, tuxedo, slicks his hair back. He's mama shaking. He's getting married. He's getting the bottle of wine tonight. Comes to the restaurant, gets out of the limo. Major D thinks he's a rich guy, treats him really nice, brings him in, sits him down. He's facing, facing the window. The waitress comes with the, with the menu. He can't read. It's all in French. He can't read. He says, listen, lady, you know, I'm getting married tonight. She goes, oh, really? Where's the missus? It's a long story. Um, give me one appetizer, one soup, one main dish, and, and the best you got dessert. But that's not really why I'm here tonight. She goes, oh, can, I, can, I, can you look at the wine list? He goes, ha, wine list? I don't need no wine list. The bottle in the window. That's what I want. Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. It's not for sale. Not for sale? Call the Major D. Major G says, sorry, sir, it's not for sale. He says, yes, it is for sale. For $10,000, it's for sale. He says, I know, but we don't take credit cards and we don't take checks for that bottle because we don't know what you're going to do. He says, no, no, you don't understand. I have been waiting for two years. And he gives him the envelope. He says, you can keep the change, whatever you want. It's $10,000. He says, sir, we got a, we got a window dresser. We got to take it out of the window. We'll get it, we'll get it for you. He says, thank you. And he's sitting there and he eats his appetizer. And the waitress comes over and says, well, in the meanwhile, how about a, how about a glass of white? You know, get fish, have a glass of white. Okay. He's not a drinker. He just was fixated on that. Fine. Give him a big goblet of white. He drinks down the white. Gets to the main dish. Gives him a Cabernet red. Drinks down the Cabernet red. He's floating, he's buzzed, he's drunk. And they're finally getting the thing out of the window. He has dessert, and they give him a big glass of sangria. And now he's out. This kid never drank. He is so out. And they get the bottle. I cry when I say this story. I just cry when I say this story. And they get the bottle, and the kid's sitting there. Two years, it's fantasy. He's going to open it slowly. He's going to smell the cork. Like He's going to go through everything. And they're like, Sir, would you like to open the bottle? And he's so drunk. He's like, well, well, you're telling me this restaurant, you can't open a bottle? I should open the bottle? You open the bottle. They're like, okay. They open the bottle. Sir, would you like to smell the cork? Corks don't smell. That's ridiculous. Throws it across the restaurant. Would you like us to pour the wine or would you like to pour the wine? Oh, no, 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 no. I pour my own wine. And he takes his glass. Perfect. And this is his bottle. And he takes it. And he just pours it on the tablecloth. And all over his shirt. And there's not a drop left. Fantasies. Dreams. On the tablecloth. And they're like, sir. Take the bottle home as a souvenir and he's like I don't need no empty bottles fires it across bangs smashes into the wall to a hundred pieces and his head goes straight down on the table he's out at eleven o'clock they wake him up and they're like sir gotta get out we're closed he goes where's my bottle your bottle you don't got no bottle you broke it, you threw it. Liars! 
Want my bottle? Said, Look at your shirt. Look at the tablecloth. That's all your wine. Said, no, it's not. I said, really? Let's go upstairs. There's a video in this restaurant. Ladies, there's no one in this room that could even understand his whole fantasy was this bottle of wine and now he's going to watch himself drunk open it, throw the cork pour he's screaming at the top of his lungs no! watching himself pour out his wine broken he goes home with nothing that's life we have these dreams. We come, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Hashem, there's one thing I want. I want life. Then you can have all the details. I want to get married, I want to have children, I want to have money, I want to get whatever. But without life, you're dead. You don't have anything. What is life, everybody? Life is the bottle in the window. Every Nishama tomorrow night is standing in front of Hashem with their face on the window and saying like, I can't wait for next year. I'm going to give my kids more time, my husband more time. I'm going to dive in. I'm going to be more sneers. I'm not going to talk Lashon Hara. A million different things. Everyone. Everyone's other. Achet, 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 achet. You're talking to those. We'll see. And then a whole year, you know what he does? He gives you cheap wine. He, you're asking for life to spend with your children. You're asking for life to spend with your husbands. You're asking for life to spend with yourself, healthy. You're asking for life to be one of God's children. And you're looking at that bottle of life in the window and you're fantasizing and you're dreaming, this is going to be the year. And then the Satan comes and he gives you cheap white wine. He gives you iPhones and technology and boys and all the other stupidities that people had movies, fake stuff, people cry and it's not even real. It's a riot of Chiesa Mason. They watch a woman and she dies from cancer at the end of the movie and then two months later she's Supergirl. Well, how'd she get Chiesa Mason? It's a riot of Chiesa Mason. She come back to life. What are you crying about? And then you say, no, Hashem, you didn't give me a good year. And Hashem says, sure, we have a video. Watch how you had time with your daughter came home and instead you were on your phone. When God was speaking, I looked around the room. There were women on their phones. How could you be on your phone? The guy is giving you the most delicious red wine for your neshama, and you're on your phone? Sorry. That's his kayak. That's his power. Ladies, don't go for the cheap wine. Girls, don't go for the cheap wine. You came to Israel, seminary girls. You had these dreams like this guy. You're looking at Israel through the window. I'm going to go. I'm going to grow. I'm going to go to the Kaisa. I'm going to go to the Kaisa. I'm going to change my life. I don't have the same old friends that I had in Brooklyn. I'm going to be a new person. And then two months in, you're drinking, you're hanging, you're doing. What happened? What happened to that girl that half a year ago was dying to get into that seminary? She finally got the letter that she's in. And she had all these fantasies and all these dreams. And now she's in Machina Yehuda. That's, that was your dream? That wasn't your dream. You fell for the same thing this guy fell. You're going for all the cheap wine. So we need to focus. Everybody needs to focus. And when you sit there... And you, and you say in the Sanatokif, when you sit there and you're in the Ila and you walk out of Yom Kippur, you walk out of the Kippur, Tish Tuf Shin Pei, 
It's an unbelievable year. Tina Shas Panasa, Freilich, to be happy. You're walking out. Hold on to it. And when he comes to you with all this garbage, yeshiva world and WhatsApp and this and all my space and your space and the other space and all this stuff on your phone and he comes to you and you say, No! I want to smell the cork! I want to taste the wine! I want to taste life! I'm not wasting this! I'm not fighting with my parents. I'm not fighting with my husband. I'm not fighting with people. That's not my dream. That's not why I sat by the window of life on the night of Yom Kippur and said, Hashem, I want to buy that bottle of life. Life is potential. I'll end with this. This happened two weeks ago to me. I don't know the rabbi. I made a big mistake. I didn't ask. A guy met me by the coastal. A, a, a boy. I don't know. He says, Rabbi Wallstein, I got to tell you something that just happened. Blew me away. I don't even know what to do with this yet. He said, my Rebbe, we have 25 guys in the class. My Rebbe called everyone at the class. He closes the door. He says, boys, if we all die right now. And they were like, what, Rebbe? What? You got a grenade? Like, what's going on? So if we all die right now, Something explodes in the room. We all die. My kind of Rebbe. And we come to Shemaim, all of us, and Hashem says, Oops, you're an hour early. Listen to this Rebbe. I'm sending you back for an hour. He asks his boys, What would you do with that hour? This boy said to me, Rebbe Wallerstein, I have to ask you. I got to tell the guys, What would you do with that hour? I said, the first thing I would do is I would go to my wife because she thinks I'm gone. I'm back. And I would tell her how much I love her and how much I ask her forgiveness for not giving her more time. I'm going to be crying for, for a little while. And then I would go to my mother, she's alive, and tell her how much I love her. And then I would go to every one of my children and I'm going to go to every one of my grandchildren, my brother and sister, all my relatives. Am I going to go to a Yankee game? No because I'm not going to be alive to see them win the World Series. Am I going to go to bed? If I have an hour left of life, I'm going to put my head in a pillow and go to sleep? No. Am I going to check the stock market? Who cares? I'm gone in an hour. I'm going to check Yeshiva World? Who cares what's going on in the world? I'm gone in an hour. So the first half hour I got, first half hour is family. Second half hour, should I learn? Should I say to Tehillim? Somebody said you should go help people because that half hour, if you help people, will keep growing because those people will be helped. So it would be the best investment that you could make. So I don't know what I would do with the second half hour, but I sure know what I wouldn't do. I think everyone in this room has to think about if you got one more hour than you're supposed to, what would you do with that hour? And you know what the Rebbe said? Boys, Whatever you do with that hour, let's say half an hour, we don't make it too hot. Whatever you do with that half an hour, Hashem just gave you 24 hours today. Do that half an hour every day. Call your mother, call your wife, call your kids, call your grandchildren. Whatever you would do with that half hour, you have 24 hours. Do it every day for that half hour. <sighs> Godless. Everyone in this room knows what you wouldn't do. You definitely wouldn't go online to see your status. Because who's cares? Yira does not mean fear. Yira means awe. Hashem doesn't want you to fear Him. That's, a, that's taught in many different schools and it really turns off a lot of kids. That there's a God in Shemayim that if you step out, you're going to get cancer. Someone's going to die. You're going to lose all your money. That's not Judaism. That is not Judaism. If you wake up in the morning, it means Hashem needs you. 
Hashem has nothing extra in this world. You hear this, everyone? You can never be that bad. But the Kishbosa will not listen to you. Never. The king can be your father. Or he's sitting on his throne in his crown, in his power, in his awesomeness. Even though he's your, your father, you sort of step back. That, that's my father. He's awesome. Awesome, awesomeness brings respect. What does Hashem want from us? Two thousand years, two thousand some odd years. We're in Gaulus. We haven't seen it. We don't have a base on Mikdash. What does He want from us? We we have a good excuse for behaving the way we behave. And I answered him. I said, "Yep, we got a good excuse. But what are we doing to change it? This is an." huge operation that we're going through but in the end when Mashiach comes we're going to say now I understand that what we thought was tragedy was really the ability to reach this point you have been watching the best of Rabbi Wallerstein who inspired the world with his commitment and his refusal to let even a single girl slip through the cracks for the past two decades. So, we start off with a story. The story is like this. I used to like to play hockey. I like to play hockey. And I used to go many times, Matzah Shabbos, to play hockey, other days. And I had a very big game. And I came home after the game. My father, I remember it like today, was in bed. And I walked in with all my hockey equipment on. And he said, No, Zachariah, how'd it go? So, some of the girls maybe listening have ever gone ice skating. So if the if it's very warm in the room that you're ice skating and there's a little film of water on the ice, it makes the ice very slow. You can't skate fast. So my father asked me, how did it go? I said to him, Ta, it was so warm in there, the ice was impossible. It was so slow. My father said to me, Ah, oh, Zachariah, you lost. I'm like, Ta, I didn't say I lost. And he looked me in the eye and changed my life. I've never forgotten this. And he said, winners don't make excuses. Losers make excuses. Nobody ever walked into a room and said, you want to know the excuse why I won? No. The minute I said the ice was slow, he's like, you lost. What a lesson. You all have, we all can have excuses. But winners don't have excuses. Now I have said this story before, but this is a very important story for Tishabov and for my speech tonight. It's a story about excuses. So, there was this guy who was not religious, never went to yeshiva, never learnt and he died and he comes to Shemayim and the three rabbis that are judging him are sitting there and they're like Yaakov, Jacob you never prayed not even your bar mitzvah 
You never davened. You never opened the Hebrew book. You never learned. What's up with you? What happened? He said, Rabbis, I don't come from an Orthodox family. My father never sent me to yeshiva. I have no idea how to read Hebrew. How could I pray or learn if I can't read Hebrew? I guess this story happened before Art Scroll. The rabbi said, whoa, we, we never heard that excuse. Um, what should we do with him? We can't send him to Gehenim. He never really did anything wrong. It's not his fault. He's a Tinak Shanizba. He never learned. Well, we can't send him to Ganei then. He doesn't know how to learn. He doesn't know how to read. What's he going to do there? I said, you know what? We're going to give you a passport. First heavenly passport ever made. We'll give you a passport. And it's going to be signed by the three rabbis. Anytime you want to go to Ganeiden, show the angel the passport. Anytime you want to go to Gehenna, show the angel the passport. Okay? So he comes to Ganeiden. The Malach is standing there. And the Malach says, we learn in the Zoya that you can't, um, that, that the way to go into Ganeiden is you have to have Malachim to bring you in. And he comes and there's no Malachim. And they're like, what are you doing here? He goes, I have a passport. Angel says, a passport? I've never seen a passport. He says, check it out. Passport says, you got to let him into Gan Eden if he wants to come into Gan Eden. Signed by three rabbis. He says, okay, come into Gan Eden. He comes into Gan Eden, and they're all learning. Yeshiva Shalmaila. He doesn't understand the word. And because of the guys he hung out with, he has no friends in Gan Eden. There's nobody there that he knows. So he goes from class to class. It's pretty boring. He's like, ah, that's not for me. Let me check out Gehenna. So he goes to Gehenna. happens to be on Shabbos. And he comes to Gehenna. And the angel says, sorry, we don't let you in unless you have someone coming with you. Two angels. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys have a passport. He opens the passport. He reads it. You have to let him in. Anytime that he wants to come in. Okay, go in. His friends are sitting there. They're eating chillant and kugel and kishka and herring, and it's one big party because it's Shabbos. Even Shabbos and Gehenna, the fires are off, and their friends are like, what are you doing here? He goes, I want to hang out with you guys. They're like, Shabbos is almost over. You better get out of here. It's not comfortable after Shabbos. He says, okay, I'll wait till Shabbos is over, and Shabbos is now over, and it's getting really uncomfortable. So he goes to the gate, and of course, after Shabbos, there's a change of the guard. There's a new angel there. And he says to the angel, I, I got to get out of here. It's not comfortable right now. I got to go back to Ganeiden. And the angel says, you can't just come out of Gehenna whenever you want. We have to get a message from Bezen Shlomailo that it's time to get out. He says, what's with you guys? Don't you guys talk to each other? He says, here, I got a passport. You got to let me out. Angel says, let me see. Takes the passport. Hmm, interesting. This is really not, this is really interesting. Okay. Throws it into the fire. Passport's burning up. Turns to the angel. He says, you crazy? Can't you read? It says you have to let me out whenever I want. He says, the angel says, what did it say on the passport? 
He said, because I didn't know how to read, I'm allowed to come and go whenever I want. Oh, says the angel, I'm so sorry I burnt it up, but I can't help you. You see, I can't read either. Excuses get you nowhere. I can't read either. What'd you accomplish? So that's my excuse story. Driving up to the ranch, and I got a phone call. And I don't take calls that say the word private. Because if you're blocking your number, I don't really know why you're calling me. But it's a long ride. It's two and a half hours, and it was private. And there was someone trying to reach me for it. I, th- I, th- I thought it was them, and I picked up the phone. And this woman's on the phone. She says, Red Wallstein, you told a story a long, 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 long time ago. I have to tell you what happened from that story. I'm like, okay, well, which story? I already forgot the story. I haven't said it in ah, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. He said, she said, you know, there was a story about this woman in the Lutz ghetto. And she had a little daughter, nine years old. And she used to go out of the Lutz ghetto and work in a bakery. And every day she'd come back, but if you smuggled any bread into the Lutz and they caught you, you were killed on the spot. You were judged and then you were killed. One day, the neighbor in this ghetto, they were all starving. And they had like nine kids. And the mother came over to her and said, you know, you go to the bakery. My kids are dying. They need food. They're dying. Could you, could you smuggle something for us? She said, you know, if I get caught... They're going to judge me and kill me. But you know what? I'll do it for you. The Kachaya, she went and she smuggled bread. And the Nazis caught her. And they said, okay, what they used to do, Risham, Risham, because the Red Cross used to show up every once in a while, said they would make a fake court, court scene and there'd be a judge who would be a Jew, and there'd be a prosecuting um, lawyer that would be a German, and there would be a defending lawyer that would be a Jew, and they would have this case, and of course, the judge who was the Jew was told, you better find a guilty or you're going to die, always. But it looked like they were being fair. That was, they were masters at this. Anyway, they take her in front of the courtroom, and her little nine-year-old daughter's with her. She's standing next to her. And there's, a, there's a, um, a clerk that writes everything down. The Germans kept amazing records. So they write every single thing down. And the judge says, okay, prosecutor. Well, we caught her. Smuggling six breads in for her daughter. And you know the rule is anyone caught smuggling, punishable by death. And the death was done with sticks. They beat them till they were dead. They didn't just shoot them. They beat them. So the defense lawyer got up and said, well, to her, to the woman who was accused, tell them what you told me, that you didn't smuggle it for your daughter. You smuggled it for the next-door neighbor. Maybe the judge will have some mercy on you. She stands there. Every time I, I say this story, I'm going to cry inside because I see her standing there. The Lutz ghetto, nothing. No defense, she doesn't say a word. 
And the defense lawyer said, this woman's telling me this story. I didn't tell the story for maybe 15 years. And the defensive lawyer says, we'll call her Miriam. Miriam, you have a chance now to say something in front of the judge. You know that if you don't defend yourself, you're going to die a terrible death. Nothing. Ma! Mommy, say something. They're going to kill you. Ma, say something. Not a word. Daughter's looking at her like, what? Well, if you have nothing to say, guilty. Take her outside and beat her to death. And they made the daughter watch the beating. And they beat this poor Jewish woman. They broke every bone in her body. And then they said, take her. She's dying anyway. Take her home and just throw her body in the, in the street. This poor little girl was like, ma. And they take this woman home broken, 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 bleeding from her ears, from her nose, from her mouth. I mean, they mamish broke her to pieces, Nazis, you mock. They should all drown. And she's laying on her deathbed. This little girl, this little daughter, standing by her mother, said, Ma, Ma, you could have said something. Why didn't you say something? The mother says, Shabbos. What, Ma? Shabbos. What about Shabbos, Ma? The clerk who was writing everything was Jewish. Every word I would say he would write, he'd be Machal Shabbos. My beautiful daughter, don't ever forget. Shabbos. That was the last word she ever said. The lady said, you remember you told me that story? You remember you told that story, Reverend Wallerstein? I'm like, wow, I haven't said that story in a long time. So why are you calling me? Reverend Wallerstein, I have a granddaughter who doesn't keep Shabbos. My kids really hid it from me. But I was by my daughter for Shabbos and they thought I was sleeping but I had to go to the bathroom. I saw my granddaughter. She's 16, running down the steps with earphones Friday night and a short skirt And I didn't know that my granddaughter was being Machal Shabbos. So I called my family. I called my daughter. I was staying by and I, I told her that I want the whole family next Shabbos to come to her. And I want my granddaughter sitting next to me at the Friday night meal. And this granddaughter put on a show. She didn't want her grandmother to know that she wasn't keeping Shabbos. She said, I want my granddaughter, even though 
normally her daughter and son-in-law sat. I want my granddaughter to sit next to me. So they put this girl next to her. And she held on to this 16-year-old girl's hand. And she told the story. She didn't let go of her hand. And she turned to her. This is what she's telling me on the phone on my way up. I almost went off the highway. She said, I whispered in my granddaughter's ear, Shabbos. Shabbos. I love you. They also had trauma. They also went through Gehenna. I don't know your Gehenna, but I'm sure you have one. Shabbos. Everyone who's listening on this Tisha B'Av, don't ever forget this story. Those are the people who went through trauma. Those are the people who went through a holocaust. Because some guy was going to write down every word she said and be Mechal Not even her. She could have found an excuse. It's a grandma. Maybe he's not religious. Winners have no excuses. Winners have no excuses. You can develop it. It's called the echo. So there was this kid and his father in the Grand Canyon. And this kid never heard an echo before. You don't hear an echo in New York. If you hear an echo, it's not an echo. It's someone repeating what you said. And they're in the Grand Canyon. And the kid slips and he hurts his foot on a rock. He scrapes his foot and he goes, Ow! And he hears from across the canyon, Ow! He's like, Ta! Who's making fun of me? And he hears, Ta! Who's making fun of me? Now he's getting really upset. He's getting really, really, really upset. So he turns to his father and he says, What's going on? And his father says, Hashem created something called an echo. That in certain places where you are, if you say something, it comes right back at you. So the kid asks his father, and this is a great question for all of us, why would Hashem create an echo? It's ridiculous. Why does anyone in this room need an echo? Everything Hashem created, why do you need an echo? Why does Hashem create an echo? If I went over to anyone in this room and said, why does Hashem create an echo? You'd be like, I don't know. It's like a weird thing. You say something, and it bounces back. That's Hashem's creation. Why does Hashem create an echo? It is so deep, and I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't have enough time to really dig into this. It is so deep, and you could all work on this on your own. Why does Hashem create an echo? Because whatever you project will come back to you. Now, you could say, Ray Walston, that's not true. Yes, it is true. Try an echo, you'll see. Hashem created an echo for you to understand that whatever you project will come back to you. For instance, this kid screams across the cavern when he hears this whole thing going on. He says, who are you? And the voice comes back. 
Who are you? Instead of asking everybody, who are you? If that's what you're projecting, who are you? Then what you're going to get back as well, who are you? How about this one? What a lesson. I love you! I love you! When a person projects that he loves others, you're going to get the echo back. I love you. And that can be to a person, and that can be to God. You can get up in the morning in your room and scream, I love you. There's an echo somewhere in Shemayim. Oh, not oh, but I love you. How about this? This is for teachers and parents. I guess for kids also. I think you're great and amazing. I think you're great and amazing. If you project to others that you think they're great and amazing, you'll get back that you're great and amazing. I want to be your friend. You'll get back, I want to be your friend. If that's how you treat other people. You want to be their friend, you're going to get back, I'll be your friend. Here's the big one. Can't you bring Mashiach? Scream to Hashem. Can't you bring Mashiach? We're in Gullus. And the voice comes back out of Shemayim. Can't you bring Mashiach? We're in Gullus. We all want Hashem to bring Mashiach. Uh-uh. We need to bring Mashiach. And you could have fun as a teacher and a parent. You could do this echo thing. I didn't have time to do this. But it's absolutely amazing that what you project will come back. So Hashem created in His world. Morning. It means Hashem needs you. Hashem has nothing extra in this world. Not even a blade of grass. The Gemara says that every blade of grass has a malach. Has an angel. And there were two rabbis and they saw a leaf fall off a tree. And the rabbi said, Ah! What does that leaf have? Why does Hashem need that leaf? It's dead. It fell off a tree. And the rabbi said, Let's look. And they lifted up the leaf and there was a little inchworm that was dying in the sun. And the leaf saved them. And the rabbi said, wow, even a leaf of a tree has a reason. Surely everyone in this room, surely everyone watching, surely everyone that exists, when you wake up in the morning, if you were extra, you wouldn't wake up in the morning. So everyone is not extra. So you can look in the mirror and you could say, wow, Hashem needs me. That's amazing. How can you be depressed? Hashem needs me. Or when they're woken up, a lot of people didn't wake up last night in the world. You woke up, look in the mirror and say, <clears throat> straighten out your tie, your, your dress, whatever it is, and say, hey, God, you need me. <laughs> and God says, that's right. Now look in the mirror and figure out why. Why do I need you? And then every night when you go to sleep, you do a cheshbon and nefesh and say, why does Hashem need me today? Oh, I helped my mother. Oh, I made someone smile. Oh, I gave someone a ride. Oh, a million different things. I did a mitzvah. I said a, I said a bracha. A million different things. So Baruch Hashem, you're here. I wish Sarah was here. For whatever reason, she's in, in Shemayim. She's got stuff to do there. I have to say that since she's there, the Siyad and the Shemayim, the ranch is not normal. She's working it. But we're here. And we're needed. But the greatest tragedy in the world is the end of potential. 
Just days before his death, Rabbi Wallerstein made clear his wish that Arnava continue its work. For the past 18 years, Rabbi Wallerstein was a father to the girls of Arnava, providing for their needs and positively impacting their lives. Now, it is our turn to carry that torch forward, lighting up the world one neshama at a time. Yira does not mean fear. Yira means awe. Hashem doesn't want you to fear Him. That's, a, that's taught in many different schools and it really turns off a lot of kids. That there's a God in Shemayim that if you step out, you're going to get cancer, someone's going to die, you're going to lose all your money. That's not Judaism. That is not Judaism. If you wake up in the morning, it means Hashem needs you. Hashem has nothing extra in this world. You hear this, everyone? You can never be that bad. But the Kershbosa will not listen to you. Never. The king can be your father, or he's sitting on his throne in his crown, in his power, in his awesomeness. Even though he's your your father, you sort of step back. That, that's my father. He's awesome. Awesome. Awesomeness brings respect. What does Hashem want from us? 2,000 years, 2,000 some odd years. We're in Gullus, we haven't seen it, we don't have a base on Mikdash. What does He want from us? We, we have a good excuse for behaving the way we behave. And I answered Him, I said, yep, we got a good excuse. But what are we doing to change it? This is a huge operation that we're going through. But in the end, when Mashiach comes, we're all going to say, now I understand that what we thought was tragedy was really the ability to reach this point. You have been watching the best of Rabbi Wallerstein, who inspired the world with his commitment and his refusal to let even a single girl slip through the cracks for the past two decades. Deep. When are two people who love each other, two lovers, two people who love each other, husband and a wife, who are very close, when are they closer? When they're together or when they have to separate? When you have to separate. If you ever had a daughter, and I'm sure a lot of you had, that went to um, seminary, so you have those flights, right, in September where everyone's leaving to Eretz Yisrael. And you're standing there and your kid is about to go to security. And you see mothers and fathers holding on to their daughters and shrieking and crying and crying like you never saw and not letting go. And the daughter's crying and the mother's crying and the father's crying. And they watch them through security and she's waving as you mamash at the end of the gate over there where you can see her for the last second. Did you do that during the year? Did you hold on to each other during the year that way? Did you cry on each other's shoulders that way? Did you watch your daughter get into the car and watch the car? When there's separation of two people who love each other, the love is greater than when they're together. It's very deep. When Hashem had to let go of Klai and the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash and watch his children leave, his love for us at that moment was greater 
than when he was together with us in the Beis HaMikdash. It's It's one of the Nechamas of Tisha B'Av. Is that even though we're separated, during separation, the missing of each other, the missing of being together, that level of love is not... I talk about Akar Satov a lot. One of the biggest medicines that a person can have is Akar Satov. This week's Parshan Devarim, Klai Yisrael says, you took us out of Mitzrayim. I talked about this last week. You took us out of Mitzrayim to kill us in the Midbar, which makes no sense because they're saying you took me out of Mitzrayim, so you have Akar Satov. You did all the miracles and everything else. And then, not focusing on that, you're worried about you took me to die. If I realize that you took me out of a time, Hashem, if you gave me all these things, right, there must be a good reason, not a bad reason. So that whole thing that Klai Yisrael says is because they don't have a car time. They say, Moshe Ben, you, you took us out of a trial. Oh, so one second. I took you out of slavery. Uh, 250 makos. Split the Yamsuf. You took all the gold and everything from the Mitzrayim. You're all billionaires. The man. Everything else, the, the, the bear, everything I did to kill you in the midbar? It's an oxymoron. You don't even make any sense. What are you saying? The problem is that they're not focusing on that you took me out of the trial. They're focusing on where we're going. When a person's in pain, what you need to focus on is what you have, not what you don't have. If you close your eyes tonight, I'm not going to do it here, if you close your eyes in darkness and wait two minutes and then open it up and you see the lights and the figures and everything that you'll see, you have sight, you have the ability to hear, you have the ability to sit on the floor. If you focus on what you have, then what you don't have doesn't hurt. When you, What you don't have hurts is because you don't realize what you do have. Imagine I gave you $86,400 every morning. And I said to you, listen, here's the deal. Every girl in this room is getting $86,400 every morning. But at 12 o'clock at night, whatever you didn't spend, I take back. I don't think there'd be too many people in this room that are not going to figure out how to spend the $86,400. I'm not saying you're going to spend it on clothing, you'll invest it in whatever you're going to invest it in, you'll give it to Tzedakah, but I think that if I gave everyone in this room and everyone listening $86,400, right, I'm telling you that tonight at 12, I'm taking it away, I think everyone's going to spend it every single day, they're going to figure out how to spend it, I'm not going to, girl's not going to walk in here and say, Rabbi, I just couldn't spend it, here's 50000 back. I just don't think that's going to happen. And if it does, she's messed up. <laughs> because there's so many good things you could do with money. And there's so many people you could help. Why are you coming back with $50,000? Pay someone's grocery bill. Pay somebody's rent. Everybody would figure out what to do. Every single person watching this year tonight has 86,400 seconds in their day. 24 hours times 60 times 60 equals 86,400 seconds. Every day Hashem gives every single one of us 
86,400 seconds to live. How much of that money, how much of those seconds do we waste? Because you will never get back a day. When the day is over, you get no more seconds for that day. So how come? When it comes to money, there's no problem in how to figure out to invest 86400 Even if you don't want to spend it on yourself, you'll give it to poor people. So how come you don't give those seconds even though you don't want to spend it on yourself? You can give that to poor people. And you can give that to needy people. You can't get that back. And I think that when you wake up tomorrow morning and you know that in the next 24-hour period you have 86,400 seconds, maybe you'll use them a little bit wiser. Because you see, if I gave you the money and you didn't use it, you could go to the bank and you can get a loan. You could go out and do business and make your own money at Wallstein. I don't need you $86,400. I'm in real estate. I'm in business. You can go get your own money. You don't need me. But ladies, you can't go get your own time. You can't borrow time. You can't make time. You don't get 86,401 seconds. Time you can't borrow. Time you can't make. It's a present that Hashem gives us every single day. And we need to focus on how to invest that time. And if we feel we don't need that much time, have to show them that would be not a good feeling, then use it to help. Kishpochu has to look down on Klaus for this Tishabov and say, they've been there, done that. It's time to give them the third day something gosh. In Torah Tavlin, it happened to be written by a, a close friend of mine, Hoffman, Rabbi Hoffman. He brings down a Tishabov story. It's Rabbi Chesku Yehuda Halbashtam, the Kloisenberger Rebbe. I'm going to tell it to you very fast. The SS guards took a whole group of them, including him. They were beaten, they were hungry, they were thirsty. And the sun was burning down on them. And they took him on that. It was a Friday, July 28th, 1944, the 7th of Av. And they took him from Warsaw to go to a concentration called Dachau. It was a very, very long walk, and there was no water. And they said anyone who goes to a stream, they went past streams and drinks water, they'll shoot him, they'll kill him. They marched all day, Friday, Shabbos, and Sunday. Sunday was Tisha B'Av. And on Sunday, the Germans drove them to exhaustion, trying to kill as many Jews as they could. But because the day was Tisha B'Av, the Rebbe had removed his shoes and had been walking barefoot on this death march. When the SS guards noticed that some of the Jews had taken off their shoes, they made them walk on the side of the road so they'd have to 
cut their feet up on the gravel and the thorns. Finally, that night, they came to a cornfield. And the corn had already been cut down, so it was all straw. And the Germans said that all the Jews have to sit down on the very sharp straw that would hurt very, very much. And they all sat down. Of course, they were passing out. They were dying. They hadn't had any water. And the Germans were going to go into town to get drunk. And the Jews never... There was the Matzei Tishabov and they were, they were sitting there. I want to read this to you from inside. As the night fell and Tishabov came to an end, some of the prisoners became disheartened. But suddenly, the, the Rebbe said... Dig, is what I want to read to you inside. Apparently, two hours before sunset on Sunday afternoon, Tishabov, the Haggard survivors arrived outside the town of Lovitch, between whatever. The Nazi guards ordered them to sit to halt in a wheat field where the crop had already been harvested. The stubble protruding from the ground stabbed the prisoners' bodies and made it extremely painful to follow the order to be seated on the ground. However, the Rebbe, Rosenberg Rebbe, whispered to those nearest to him that perhaps there was some water in the ground. Soon the word, the word spread, dig for water. All over the wheat field, people dug, one with a rusty spoon, another with a stick, most with their bare fingers. Every centimeter they dug cost energy they so desperately needed. For over two hours, it was two hours before the end of Tishabov, they pushed themselves relentlessly to try to find some water. As night fell and Tishabov came to an end, some of the prisoners became disheartened. But suddenly, a stream of water, some 30 centimeters high, shot up into the air. Someone had found an underground water pocket. Soon, the whole field seemed to be full of water fountains. The SS guards came running furious. They barked and screamed, but it was to no avail. They watched helplessly as the spout spread throughout the field, and the Jews drank their fill. The Rebbe, too, drank his fill, breaking his fast, on the wonderful water shooting out of the ground. Ultimately, the German sadists were awed. They could do nothing about the spouts of water that were coming from the ground, but fill their own canteens. This is my ending story. Underneath every one of us, if we just dig, is what we need. Don't give up. Just never give up. You just have to dig. Don't let the satan tell you. You see, it's not meant to be. You're digging and you're digging and nothing's happening. A great man once said, 75% of success, 75% of success is failure. Because every time you fail, you learn what not to do. I failed the first time. I failed the second time. We're not going to fail the third time. So you failed. It didn't work. Okay. Don't give up. Dig a little deeper. For two hours they were digging. Nothing was happening. But then, it was enough water for everyone. Everyone has the kayak. Yira does not mean fear. Yira means awe. Hashem doesn't want you to fear Him. That's, a, that's taught in many different schools and it really turns off a lot of kids. 
that there's a God in Shemayim that if you step out, you're going to get cancer, someone's going to die, you're going to lose all your money. That's not Judaism. That is not Judaism. If you wake up in the morning, it means Hashem needs you. Hashem has nothing extra in this world. You hear this, everyone? You can never be that bad that the Kershbosa will not listen to you. Never. The king can be your father, or he's sitting on his throne in his crown, in his power, in his awesomeness. Even though he's your your father, you sort of step back. That, that's my father. He's awesome. Your awesome, awesomeness brings respect. What does Hashem want from us? 2,000 years, 2,000 some odd years. We're in Gaulus, we haven't seen it, we don't have a base on Mikdash. What does he want from us? We, we have a good excuse for behaving the way we behave. And I answered him, I said, yep, we got a good excuse. But what are we doing to change it? This is a huge operation that we're going through. But in the end, when Mashiach comes, we're all going to say, now I understand. That what we thought was tragedy was really the ability to reach this point. You have been watching the best of Rabbi Wallerstein, who inspired the world with his commitment and his refusal to let even a single girl slip through the cracks for the past two decades. Rav Chaim made a bris. He would buy a bris, so the Sfadim give out. So we're going to make a bracha, and everyone can say amen. Amen. Who put the smell in these leaves? But the other leaves, right next to it, they have no smell. Okay. Let's look at something else. There's no color. Earth is brown. Water is clear. Air is clear. The sun is... Yellow, but it's not really yellow. It's just from as far that we can see. How do you get a green apple? None of those elements have the color green. How do you get a star fruit? How, how does this shape? It's so different than this shape. Because Baruch you, you could have just made us apples. You didn't have to do this. So it's sort of like you took your wife out to eat for pizza. But no, you didn't take her out for pizza. You took it to the most expensive, most beautiful restaurant, and you took the whole restaurant, and they're playing, and they and you rented violins, and, and it's like you, she's like, I would have gone to the pizza shop, would have been happy, yeah, but I'm not happy. You going to the pizza shop? Hashem's like, I'm not happy. Everyone just eating a green apple, so we're gonna make a star fruit, and we're gonna make a yellow banana. There's nothing yellow in the ground. Where's the yellow banana come from? And I don't have to go further. And the apple and the plum. Now, this is my, this is my favorite. I, I, I couldn't find the flower store in Gula. It took me a long time. She was like wondering, you're buying flowers for Yom Kippur? I'm like, it's, it's a long story. How many women here go to a flower store before Shabbos? Raise your hands. Do you know that this is a museum? That all these different flowers that Hashem makes... So with my, with my atheists, I'm like, red rose, purple rose, white rose. There's no red in the ground. There's no white in the ground. There's no purple in the ground. 
There's no red in the water. There's no red in the air. There's no red in the sun. You tell me how, if the elements that are causing this to grow, how is this yellow? And this one's ne- right next door to it is white. And this guy's pink. And this guy's hello. A yellow flower with brown in the middle. So what the Rambam's saying is the relationship with Hashem when you see a rose, most of them don't smell anymore today, when you see a rose, it's not a rose. Connect it to a Kodesh Baruch You eat. When I was in, in Brooklyn now, we did it. I took out all these spices. Ladies, you cook with spices. It's not normal. It's not normal. Garlic, salt, nutmeg, paprika, all these different plants from the ground. Where do these tastes come from? And then Hashem had to give you a tongue, a tongue. He didn't just give you all the taste. He gave you a tongue that can tell the difference between all the tastes and pull it apart. If you have a, a soup, you can tell me, is this has garlic? This? So, so in the fruit store, you're talking to Hashem. In the flower store, you're talking to Hashem. When you're going to the doctor and you're going to the, to the eye guy, right, and he's looking into your eyes and you got pupil and all this, you're, you're, you're going to Hashem. Everything you do, you're going to Hashem. So the Rambam saying, when you're sitting, what do you, what do you, I love you Hashem, when you're sitting, you're like, I'm sitting at a table. Who, and, and so, so I have to tell you a story that happened in a, in a, in a school. So I was invited to speak in a school. I'm not going to say which one. Very cultured school. And they called me up the day I was supposed to, before I came, and they said, we're sorry, we're pushing you off a day. We're going to the MoMA. We're going to the Museum of Art. I said, could I come? And they said, chas v'shalom, the, 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 the stuff you're not allowed to look at, there's naked women, and there's naked sculptures, and naked men, and I'm like, you're yeshiva. Like, why could you go? Art. So the Sultan is very smart. This stuff you would never have in your house. If your parents caught you watching this on a screen, they would throw you with the screen out. But you go to a museum and no one's dressed. They don't put any clothing on, right? But also, you can't go. Okay, I'm not going. I never went. I'm not going. Fine. The next day I come to speak. And I say, No? How was it? They're like, It was great that you didn't come. You you would have been so embarrassed. They're not embarrassed. I would have been so embarrassed. Okay. I said, so tell me, what what did you see? Like, what did you see? So there's one girl in the back. Says, Rabbi Wallerstein, there's a painting of a, of, a, of a lake and a farm. And the artist captured the reflection of the sun and the clouds in the lake. So you see that and you see it in the lake and it's perfect. In the, godless. I said, it's like, it blew you away. She says, there's a lot of artwork there that blew us away. I'm like, can I ask you something? Did you ever see a lake? Said, yeah. Did it blow you away? Did you ever say, who made this? I said, let me tell you something about an artist. Whatever he painted is not an original. It's a copy. How come the artist that created it nobody talks to? This is what the Rambam's talking about. But there's one smart girl, there's always one smart girl, sitting in the back and says, excuse me, I don't agree. I'm like, okay. She said, it's not what they painted. It's that a human being can capture what that artist captured. 
I'm like, and who gave that ability to the human being? Who gave the color paints for them? Who gave them the canvas? Who gave them the eye and hand coordination? Who gave them that ability? He's a copier. The human being is a copier. He's not an originator. This isn't everything in life. This isn't emotions. This isn't loving. This isn't and having, you know, everyone runs to funerals. Everybody runs to funerals. And everyone's bad-mouthing God. This guy died at 51. This guy died here. This guy died there. And Torah, and, and what's it called? Yeshiva world is out there. And everybody's like, what's with you, Hashem? How many people go to Maimonides to the nursery to see the 25 babies that were born today? And say, oh my gosh, look at these little perfect little things with five, ten fingers and little cute noses. So people, even though they throw up all the time and go to the bathroom and whine, people still love them because Hashem made them so cute. Because if they weren't cute, uh-uh. It ain't happening. That's why people are not born as adults. Because you're going to start crying as an adult. No one's happy. No one's changing. No one's helping you out. No one's helping you out. Adam was like that. And his children came out as adults. It stopped right away. So if anyone ever tells you there's no God, so, so what's the answer of all? So I'm sitting, in, I'm sitting in a crowd not this big, about I would say about 200 women, and I'm like, so what's the answer? The earth has no smell, has no color. Water has no smell, has no color. Air has no smell, has no color. The sun has no smell, has a color, but, right? So how do you get all this? What's the answer? Anyone here know the answer? It had to be created. The elements that are keeping it alive and keeping it going and reproducing it, that is Hashkacha Pratis. But someone had to create a smell and put it in a paprika plant. And someone had to put white underneath the green of the apple that when you bite into it, it should go all over your shirt. Well, it used to. And if you have that relationship, that's the tenth parakin tshuva, not achet, that the, the summation of tshuva is to love Hashem like you love someone and you cannot get to stop thinking about Him all day long. No matter putting your kid on the bus, doing homework, figuring out a math, whatever it is. That is the real love of Hashem. And if you come, Yom Kippur, I asked my Rebbe, Rabbi Rabbi Gamliel tonight, I said, what's the, what's the makshava? What's the makshava that I should be thinking about? He said, think about bringing one more person to their father, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because that's what Ishrei Matanus Levya, and if you ask any parent in this room, what's more important? I should help you or I should help your kid? There's no parent in here that won't say, help my, help my kid. So you show Hashem love by helping his children. So this is all about love. Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, is about having the most ultimate relationship with God that is humanly possible. And the reason you have to fast and have all those other things, because as a human being, there are too many things blocking you from having this unbelievable spiritual relationship. So we're stripping you away of your, your physical so that you can connect Hashem spiritually. Hashem Elohim. It's the last thing that we say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu before L'Shan HaBav Yishlam. Hashem, Rachamim, Elohim. I know that you're Yudke Vavke. I know that you love me. I want to tell you two stories because the bottom line is 
that every year we're doing we're doing we're doing chuva on the same stuff. Why? You might have to give a little musr at once. He never gives musr. I'm going to give a little. I'm going to give a little musr tonight. I'm talking to myself. Well, actually, I'm not, because I don't have a smartphone, so I'm not talking to myself. What happens? You hear tonight, Yom Kippur, Israel, everybody, Yom Kippur, and then we just we come back the next Yom Kippur and we start. I start looking at my al chaitz, and I'm like, I did that again this year. Didn't watch my mouth. Insulted this guy. Thought the wrong thoughts. All the al chaitz. I'm like, like I mamish didn't change one. All of them, I mamish didn't change one. So why? Why didn't I change one? So I'll tell you a fast story. So there was this boy, it's my favorite story, one of my favorite stories, because it's so true. There was this, this boy, he got a job on Wall Street, and he's 19 years old, and he's on his way to get his job, and he walks by this, this bar, this restaurant, and in the window of this restaurant is a bottle of wine. And the bottle of wine has a label, and he sticks his nose on the glass, and it says, 1875. He's like, wow, a bottle of wine from 1875. He knocks on the door. The maitre d' opens up. He says, how much, how much are you selling that bottle of wine for? He goes, kid, shoo. We don't need, no, we don't need any uh, waiters, busboys. Get out of here. He goes, no, no, but how much do you want for the bottle of wine? And he's like, $10,000. Now get out of here. Every day, every day, this kid goes up to the glass and starts to talk to the bottle of wine. You know, baby, you're mine. You know we're getting married one day. Just me and you and no one else. It's going to take me a while, baby, because I can't get 10 grand together so fast to make the wedding. But the minute I have it, you're mine. And he was sugar. It was his fantasy. And he would talk to this bottle every day for two years. I love you. I can't wait to open the bottle, smell the cork, drink the wine. Total out of his mind. Fixated. One day, the owner on Wall Street where he was working says, you know what? You're such a good worker. We're bringing you up to make you a stockbroker. Here's a bonus. And they give him an envelope. And he goes into his little cubicle and he opens up the envelope. And there's $10,000 in the envelope. He's like, yes, she's mine. He runs out of his room, runs to the glass, says, ah. he's shaking, his mama's shaking. Ah. Thursday night, it's me and you, just the two of us. Goes home, calls Zeller's tuxedo, send me a tuxedo. Thursday, calls a limo, send me a limo. He's all set up. Thursday night, calls up the restaurant. Hello, it's a French restaurant. Hi, my name is Michael. I'd like to make a reservation for one. One? Yeah, just one. Could I have a special request? Sure, what's your request? I want to sit facing the bottle of wine in the window. Okay? So, gets dressed, tuxedo, slicks his hair back. He's mama shaking. He's getting married. He's getting the bottle of wine tonight. Comes to the restaurant, gets out of the limo. Major D thinks he's a rich guy. Treats him really nice. Brings him in, sits him down. He's facing... Facing the window. The waitress comes with the, with the menu. He can't read. It's all in French. He can't read. He says, listen, lady, 
you know, I'm getting married tonight. She goes, oh, really? Where's the missus? It's a long story. Um, give me one appetizer, one soup, one main dish, and, and the best you got dessert. But that's not really why I'm here tonight. She goes, oh, can I, can I, can you look at the wine list? He goes, ha, wine list? I don't need no wine list. The bottle in the window. That's what I want. Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. It's not for sale. Not for sale? Call the major D. Major D says, sorry, sir, it's not for sale. He says, yes, it is for sale. For $10,000, it's for sale. He says, I know, but we don't take credit cards and we don't take checks for that bottle because we don't know what you're going to do. He says, no, no, you don't understand. I have been waiting for two years. And he gives him the envelope. He says, you can keep the change, whatever you want. It's $10,000. He says, sir, we got a we window dresser. We got to take it out of the window. We'll get, it, we'll get it for you. He says, thank you. And he's sitting there and he eats his appetizer. And the waitress comes over and says, well, in the meanwhile, how about a, how about a glass of white? You know, get fish, have a glass of white. Okay, he's not a drinker. He just was fixated on that. Fine. Give him a big goblet of white. He drinks down the white. Gets to the main dish. Gives him a Cabernet Red. Drinks down the Cabernet Red. He's floating. He's buzzed. He's drunk. And they're finally getting the thing out of the window. He has dessert. And they give him a big glass of sangria. And now he's out. This kid never drank. He is so out. And they get the bottle. I cry when I say this story. I just cry when I say this story. They get the bottle, and the kid's sitting there. Two years, is fantasy. He's going to open it slowly. He's going to smell the cork. Like He's going to go through everything. And they're like, sir, would you like to open the bottle? And he's so drunk. He's like, what, what you're telling me this restaurant, you can't open a bottle? I should open the bottle? You open the bottle. They're like, okay. They open the bottle. Sir, would you like to smell the cork? Corks don't smell. That's ridiculous. Throws it across the restaurant. Would you like us to pour the wine or would you like to pour the wine? Oh, no, 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 no. I pour my own wine. And he takes his glass. Perfect. And his is his bottle and he takes it and he just pours it on the tablecloth and all over his shirt. And there's not a drop left. Fantasies, dreams, on the tablecloth. And they're like, sir, take the bottle home as a souvenir. And he's like, I don't need no empty bottles. Fires it across, bangs, smashes into the walls to 100 pieces and his head goes straight down on the table. He's out. At 11 o'clock, they wake him up. And they're like, Sir, you got to get out. We're closed. He goes, where's my bottle? Your bottle? You don't got no bottle. You broke it. You threw it. Liars! Want my bottle? Look at your shirt. Look at the tablecloth. That's all your wine. No, it's not. He said, really? Let's go upstairs. There's a video in this restaurant. Ladies, there's no one in this room that could even understand this whole fantasy was this bottle of wine, and now he's going to watch himself, drunk, open it, throw the cork, pour. He's screaming at the top of his lungs. No! Watching himself pour out his wine. 
broken, he goes home with nothing. That's life. We have these dreams. We come, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Hashem, there's one thing I want. I want life. Then you can have all the details. I want to get married, I want to have children, I want to have money, I want to get whatever. But without life, you're dead. You don't have anything. What is life, everybody? Life is the bottle and the window. Every neshama tomorrow night is standing in front of Hashem with their face on the window and saying like, I can't wait for next year. I'm going to give my kids more time, my husband more time. I'm going to dive in. I'm going to be more tzniyas. I'm not going to talk Lashon Hara. A million different things. Everyone. Everyone's on that. Achet, 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 achet. We'll see. And then a whole year, you know what he does? He gives you cheap wine. He, you're asking for life to spend with your children. You're asking for life to spend with your husbands. You're asking for life to spend with yourself healthy. You're asking for life to be one of God's children. And you're looking at that bottle of life in the window and you're fantasizing and you're dreaming, this is going to be the year. And then the Satan comes and he gives you cheap white wine. He gives you iPhones and technology and boys and all the other stupidities that people have. Movies, fake stuff, people cry and it's not even real. It's a riot to Chiesa Mason. They watch a woman and she dies from cancer at the end of the movie and then two months later she's Supergirl. Well, how'd she get Chiesa Mason? It's a riot to Chiesa Mason. She come back to life. What are you crying about? And then you say, no, Hashem, you didn't give me a good year. And Hashem says, sure, we have a video. Watch how you had time with your daughter came home and instead you were on your phone. When God was speaking, I looked around the room. There were women on their phones. How could you be on your phone? The guy is giving you the most delicious red wine for your neshama, and you're on your phone? Sorry. That's his kayach. That's his power. Ladies, don't go for the cheap wine. Girls, don't go for the cheap wine. You came to Eretz seminary girls. You had these dreams like this guy. You're looking at Eretz through the window. I'm going to go. I'm going to grow. I'm going to go to the Kaisa. I'm going to go to Marzvah. I'm going to change my life. I don't have the same old friends that I had in Brooklyn. I'm going to be a new person. And then two months in, you're drinking, you're hanging, you're doing. What happened? What happened to that girl that half a year ago was dying to get into that seminary? She finally got the letter that she's in. And she had all these fantasies and all these dreams. And now she's in Machina Yehuda. That's, that was your dream? That wasn't your dream. You fell for the same thing this guy fell. You're going for all the cheap wine. So we need to focus. Everybody needs to focus. And when you sit there and you, and you say in the sound of Tokif, when you sit there and you're in the Ewa and you walk out of Yom Kippur, you walk out of your kippur, tish tufshin pei, it's an unbelievable year, tina shas panasa, freilach, to be happy. You're walking out, hold on to it. And when he comes to you with all this garbage, yeshiva world and WhatsApp and this and all my space and your space and the other space and all this stuff on your phone and he comes to you and you say, no, I want to smell the cork. I want to taste the wine. I want to taste life. I'm not wasting this. I'm not fighting with my parents. I'm not fighting with my husband. I'm not fighting with people. That's not my dream. That's not why I sat by the window of life on the night of Yom Kippur and said, Hashem, I want to buy that bottle of life. Life is potential. I'll end with this. 
This happened two weeks ago to me. I don't know the rabbi. I made a big mistake. I didn't ask. A guy met me by the coastal. A, a, a boy. I don't know. He says, Rabbi Wallstein, I got to tell you something that just happened. Blew me away. I don't even know what to do with this yet. He said, my Rebbe, we have 25 guys in the class. My Rebbe called everyone at the class. He closes the door. He says, boys, if we all die right now. And they were like, what, Rebbe? What? You got a grenade? Like, what's going on? So well, if we all die right now, something explodes in the room. We all die. My kind of Rebbe. And we come to Shemaim, all of us, and Hashem says, oops, you're an hour early. Listen to this, Rebbe. I'm sending you back for an hour. He asked his boys, what would you do with that hour? This boy said to me, Rebbe Wallerstein, I have to ask you. I got to tell the guys, what would you do with that hour? I said, the first thing I would do is I would go to my wife because she thinks I'm gone, I'm back. And I would tell her how much I love her and how much... I ask her forgiveness for not giving her more time. I'm going to be crying for, for a little while. And then I'm going to go to my mother, she's alive, and tell her how much I love her. And then I'm going to go to every one of my children, and I'm going to go to every one of my grandchildren, my brother and sister, all my relatives. Am I going to go to a Yankee game? No, because I'm not going to be alive to see them win the World Series. Am I going to go to bed? If I have an hour left of life, I'm going to put my head in a pillow and go to sleep? No. Am I going to check the stock market? Who cares? I'm gone in an hour. I'm going to check Yeshiva world? Who cares what's going on in the world? I'm gone in an hour. So the first half hour I got. First half hour is family. Second half hour, should I learn? Should I say Tehillim? Somebody said you should go help people because that half hour, if you help people, will keep growing because those people will be helped. So it will be the best investment that you could make. So I don't know what I would do with the second half hour, but I sure know what I wouldn't do. I think everyone in this room has to think about if you got one more hour than you're supposed to, what would you do with that hour? And you know what the Rebbe said? Boys, whatever you would do with that hour, let's say half an hour, we don't make it too hot. Whatever you would do with that half an hour, Hashem just gave you 24 hours today. Do that half an hour every day. Call your mother. Call your wife, call your kids, call your grandchildren. Whatever you would do with that half hour, you have 24 hours. Do it every day for that half hour. <sighs> Godless. Everyone in this room knows what you wouldn't do. You definitely wouldn't go online to see your status. Because who's cares? Yira does not mean fear. Yira means awe. Hashem doesn't want you to fear Him. That's, a, that's taught in many different schools and it really turns off a lot of kids. That there's a God in Shemayim that if you step out, you're going to get cancer, someone's going to die, you're going to lose all your money. That's not Judaism. That is not Judaism. If you wake up in the morning, it means Hashem needs you. Hashem has nothing extra in this world. You hear this, everyone? You can never be that bad. Because Barsha will not listen to you. Never. The king can be your father. We're sitting on his throne in his crown, in his power, in his awesomeness. Even though he's your your father, you sort of step back. That, that's my father. He's awesome. Awesome awesomeness brings respect. What does Hashem want from us? 2,000 years, 2,000 some odd years, 
We're in Gullus. We haven't seen him. We don't have a base on Migdash. What does he want from us? We, we have a good excuse for behaving the way we behave. And I answered him. I said, yep, we got a good excuse. But what are we doing to change it? This is a huge operation that we're going through. But in the end, when Mashiach comes, we're going to say, now I understand that what we thought was tragedy was really the ability to reach this point. You have been watching the best of Rabbi Wallerstein, who inspired the world with his commitment and his refusal to let even a single girl slip through the cracks for the past two decades. So, we start off with a story. The story is like this. I used to like to play hockey. I like to play hockey. And I used to go many times, Matzah Shabbos, to play hockey, other days. And I had a very big game. And I came home after the game. My father, I remember it like today, was in bed. And I walked in with all my hockey equipment on. And he said, No, Zachariah, how'd it go? So, some of the girls maybe listening have ever gone ice skating. So, if, the, if it's very warm in the room that you're ice skating, and there's a little film of water on the ice, it makes the ice very slow. You can't skate fast. So, when my father asked me, how did it go? I said to him, Ta, it was so warm in there, the ice was impossible. It was so slow. My father said to me, Ah, Zechariah, you lost. I'm like, ta, I didn't say I lost. And he looked me in the eye and changed my life. I've never forgotten this. And he said, winners don't make excuses. Losers make excuses. Nobody ever walked into a room and said, you want to know the excuse why I won? No. The minute I said the ice was slow, he's like, you lost. What a lesson. You all have, we all can have excuses. But winners don't have excuses. Now I have said this story before, but this is a very important story for Tishabov and for my speech tonight. It's a story about excuses. So, there was this guy who was not religious, never went to yeshiva, never learned and he died and he comes to Shemayim and the three rabbis that are judging him are sitting there and they're like Yaakov, Jacob you never prayed not even your bar mitzvah you never davened you never opened the Hebrew book you never learned what's up with you? what happened? said rabbis I don't come from an Orthodox family. My father never sent me to yeshiva. I have no idea how to read Hebrew. How could I pray or learn if I can't read Hebrew? I guess this story happened before Art Scroll. The rabbi said, whoa, we, we never heard that excuse. Um, what should we do with him? We can't send him to Gehenim. 
He never really did anything wrong. It's not his fault. He's a Tinak Shanishba. He never learned. But we can't send him to Gan Eden. He doesn't know how to learn. He doesn't know how to read. What's he going to do there? He said, you know what? We're going to give you a passport. First heavenly passport ever made. We'll give you a passport. And it's going to be signed by the three rabbis. Anytime you want to go to Gan Eden, show the angel the passport. Anytime you want to go to Gehenna, show the angel the passport. Okay? So, he comes to Gan Eden, the Malach is standing there, and the Malach says, in, we learn in the Zoya that you can't, um, that, that the way to go into Gan Eden is you have to have Malachim to bring you in, and he comes and there's no Malachim, and they're like, what are you doing here? He goes, I have a passport. Angel says, a passport? I've never seen a passport. He says, check it out. Passport says, you gotta let him into Gan Eden if he wants to come into Gan Eden. Signed by three rabbis. He says, okay. Come into Gan Eden. He comes into Gan Eden. And they're all learning. Yeshiva Shalmaila. He doesn't understand the word. And because of the guys he hung out with, he has no friends in Gan Eden. There's nobody there that he knows. So he goes from class to class. It's pretty boring. He's like, ah, that's not for me. Let me check out Gehenna. So he goes to Gehenna. happens to be on Shabbos. And he comes to Gehenna. And the angel says, sorry, we don't let you in unless you have... Someone coming with you, two angels. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys have a passport. He opens the passport. He reads it. You have to let him in. Anytime that he wants to come in, okay, go in. His friends are sitting there. They're eating chillant and kugel and kishka and herring. And it's one big party because it's Shabbos. Even Shabbos and Gehenna, the fires are off. And their friends are like, what are you doing here? He goes, I want to hang out with you guys. They're like, Shabbos is almost over. You better get out of here. It's not comfortable after Shabbos. He says, okay, I'll wait till Shabbos is over. And Shabbos is now over, and it's getting really uncomfortable. So he goes to the gate, and of course, after Shabbos, there's a change of the guard. There's a new angel there. And he says to the angel, I, I got to get out of here. It's not comfortable right now. I got to go back to Gan Eden. And the angel says, you can't just come out of Gehenna whenever you want. We have to get a message from Bezen Shalmilo that it's time to get out. He says, what's with you guys? Don't you guys talk to each other? He says, here, I got a passport. You got to let me out. Angel says, let me see. Takes the passport. Hmm, interesting. This is really not, this is really interesting. Okay. Throws it into the fire. Passport's burning up. Turns to the angel, he says, are you crazy? Can't you read? It says you have to let me out whenever I want. He says, the angel says, what did it say on the passport? He said, because I didn't know how to read, I'm allowed to come and go whenever I want. Oh, he says, the angel, I'm so sorry I burnt it up, but I can't help you. You see, I can't read either. Excuses get you nowhere. I can't read either. What would you accomplish? So that's my excuse story. Driving up to the ranch, and I got a phone call. And I don't take calls that say the word private. Because if you're blocking your number, I don't really know why you're calling me. But it's a long ride. It's two and a half hours, and it was private. And there was someone trying to reach me for it. I, th- I, th- I, th- I thought it was them, and I picked up the phone. 
And this woman's on the phone. She says, Rev. Wallstein, you told a story a long, 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 long time ago. I have to tell you what happened from that story. I'm like, okay, well, which story? I already forgot the story. I haven't said it in ah, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years. He said, she said, you know, there was a story about this woman in the Lutz ghetto. And she had a little daughter, nine years old. And she used to go out of the Lutz ghetto and work in a bakery. And every day she'd come back, but if you smuggled any bread into the Lutz and they caught you, you were killed on the spot. You were judged and then you were killed. One day, the neighbor in this ghetto, they were all starving. And they had like nine kids. And the mother came over to her and said, you know, you go to the bakery. My kids are dying. They need food. They're dying. Could you, could you smuggle something for us? She said, you know, if I get caught, they're going to judge me and kill me. But you know what? I'll do it for you. The Kachaya, she went and she smuggled bread. And the Nazis caught her. And they said, okay, what they used to do, Risham, Shiva Risham, because the, the Red Cross used to show up every once in a while, said they would make a fake court, court scene and there'd be a judge who would be a Jew and there'd be a prosecuting um, lawyer that would be a German and there would be a defending lawyer that would be a Jew, and they would have this case. And of course, the judge who was the Jew was told, you better find a guilty or you're going to die, always. But it looked like they were being fair. That was, they were masters at this. Anyway, they take her in front of the courtroom, and her little nine-year-old daughter's with her. She's standing next to her. And there's a, there's a, um, a clerk that writes everything down. The Germans kept amazing records. So they write every single thing down. And the judge says, okay, prosecutor. Well, we caught her smuggling six breads in for her daughter. And you know the rule is anyone caught smuggling is punishable by death. And the death was done with sticks. They beat them till they were dead. They didn't just shoot them. They beat them. So the defense lawyer got up and said, well to her, to the woman who was accused, tell them what you told me, that you didn't smuggle it for your daughter. You smuggled it for the next door neighbor. Maybe the judge will have some mercy on you. She stands there. Every time I, I say this story, I'm almost crying inside because I see her standing there in the Lutz ghetto. Nothing. No defense. She doesn't say a word. And the defense lawyer said, this woman's telling me this story. I didn't tell the story for maybe 15 years. And the defensive lawyer says, we'll call her Miriam. Miriam, you have a chance now to say something in front of the judge. You know that if you don't defend yourself, you're going to die a terrible death. Nothing. Ma! Mommy, say something, they're going to kill you! Ma, say something! Not a word. Daughter's looking at her like, what? Well, if you have nothing to say, 
guilty. Take her outside and beat her to death. And they made the daughter watch the beating. And they beat this poor Jewish woman. They broke every bone in her body. And then they said, take her. She's dying anyway. Take her home and just throw her body in the, in the street. This poor little girl was like, ma. And they take this woman home broken, 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 bleeding from her ears, from her nose, from her mouth. I mean, they mamish broke her to pieces, Nazis, you mock. Shimon v'zichram, they should all drown. And she's laying on her deathbed. This little girl, this little daughter, standing by her mother, says, Ma, Ma, you could have said something. Why didn't you say something? The mother says, Shabbos. What, Ma? Shabbos. What about Shabbos, Ma? The clerk was writing everything was Jewish. Every word I would say he would write, he'd be Machal Shabbos. My beautiful daughter, don't ever forget. Shabbos. That was the last word she ever said. The lady said, you remember you told me that story? You remember you told that story, Reverend Wallerstein? I'm like, wow, I haven't said that story in a long time. So why are you calling me? She said, Wallerstein, I have a granddaughter who doesn't keep showers. My kids really hid it from me. But I was by my daughter for Shabbos, and they thought I was sleeping, but I had to go to the bathroom. I saw my granddaughter, she's 16, running down the steps with earphones Friday night and a short skirt. And I didn't know that my granddaughter was being Machal Shabbos. So I called my family, I called my daughter, I was staying by, and I I told her that I want the whole family next Shabbos to come to her and I want my granddaughter sitting next to me at the Friday night meal. And this granddaughter put on a show. She didn't want her grandmother to know that she wasn't keeping Shabbos. She said, I want my granddaughter, even though normally her daughter and son are all set, I want my granddaughter to sit next to me. So they put this girl next to her and she held on to this 16-year-old girl's hand and she told the story. She didn't let go of her hand. And she turned to her. That's what she's telling me on the phone on my way up. I almost went off the highway. She said, I whispered in my granddaughter's ear, Shabbos. Shafel, Shabbos. I love you. 
They also had trauma. They also went through Gehenna. I don't know your Gehenna, but I'm sure you have one. Shabbos. Everyone who's listening on this Tisha B'Av, don't ever forget this story. Those are the people who went through trauma. Those are the people who went through a holocaust. Because some guy was going to write down every word she said and be Mechal Not even her. She could have found an excuse. It's a grandma. Maybe he's not religious. Winners have no excuses. Winners have no excuses. You can develop it. It's called the echo. So there was this kid and his father in the Grand Canyon. And this kid never heard an echo before. You don't hear an echo in New York. If you hear an echo, it's not an echo. It's someone repeating what you said. And they're in the Grand Canyon. And the kid slips and he hurts his foot on a rock. He scrapes his foot and he goes, Ow! And he hears from across the canyon, Ow! He's like, Ta! Who's making fun of me? And he hears, Ta! Who's making fun of me? Now he's getting really upset. He's getting really, really, really upset. So he turns to his father and he says, What's going on? And his father says, Hashem created something called an echo. That in certain places where you are, if you say something, it comes right back at you. So the kid asks his father, and this is a great question for all of us, why would Hashem create an echo? It's ridiculous. Why does anyone in this room need an echo? Everything Hashem created, why do you need an echo? Why does Hashem create an echo? If I went over to anyone in this room and said, why does Hashem create an echo? You'd be like, I don't know. It's like a weird thing. You say something, and it bounces back. That's Hashem's creation. Why does Hashem create an echo? It is so deep, and I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't have enough time to really dig into this. It is so deep, and you could all work on this on your own. Why does Hashem create an echo? Because whatever you project will come back to you. Now, you could say, Ray Walston, that's not true. Yes, it is true. Try an echo, you'll see. Hashem created an echo for you to understand that whatever you project will come back to you. For instance, this kid screams across the cavern when he hears this whole thing going on. He says, who are you? And the voice comes back. Who are you? Instead of asking everybody, who are you? If that's what you're projecting, who are you? Then what you're going to get back as well, who are you? How about this one? What a lesson. I love you. I love you. When a person projects that he loves others, you're going to get the echo back. I love you. And that can be to a person. And that can be to God. You can get up in the morning in your room and scream, I love you. There's an echo somewhere in Shemayim. Oh, not oh, but 
I love you. How about this? This is for teachers and parents. I guess for kids also. I think you're great and amazing. I think you're great and amazing. If you project to others that you think they're great and amazing, you'll get back that you're great and amazing. I want to be your friend. You'll get back, I want to be your friend. If that's how you treat other people, you want to be their friend, you're going to get back, I'll be your friend. Here's the big one. Can't you bring Mashiach? Scream to Hashem. Can't you bring Mashiach? We're in Galas. And the voice comes back out of Shemayim. Can't you bring Mashiach? We're in Galas. We all want Hashem to bring Mashiach? Uh-uh. We need to bring Mashiach. And you could have fun as a teacher and a parent. You could do this echo thing. I didn't have time to do this. But it's absolutely amazing that what you project will come back. So Hashem created in His world. Morning means Hashem needs you. Hashem has nothing extra in this world. Not even a blade of grass. The Gemara says that every blade of grass has a malach, has an angel. And there were two rabbis and they saw a leaf fall off a tree. And the rabbi said, Ah! Oh, what does that leaf have? To, why does Hashem need that leaf? It's dead. It fell off a tree. And the rabbi said, Let's look. And they lifted up the leaf, and there was a little inchworm that was dying in the sun. And the leaf saved them. And the rabbi said, wow, even a leaf of a tree has a reason. Surely everyone in this room, surely everyone watching, surely everyone that exists, when you wake up in the morning, if you were extra, you wouldn't wake up in the morning. So everyone is not extra. So you can look in the mirror, and you can say, wow, Hashem needs me. That's amazing. How can you be depressed? Shem needs me. Or when they're woken up, a lot of people didn't wake up last night in the world. You woke up, look in the mirror and say, <clears throat> straighten out your tie, your dress, whatever it is, and say, hey, God, you need me. <laughs> and God says, that's right. Now look in the mirror and figure out why. Why do I need you? And then every night when you go to sleep, you do a cheshbon and nefesh and say, why does Hashem need me today? Oh, I helped my mother. Oh, I made someone smile. Oh, I gave someone a ride. Oh, a million different things. I did a mitzvah. I said a, I said a bracha. A million different things. So, Baruch Hashem, you're here. I wish Sarah was here. For whatever reason, she's in, in Shemayim. She's got stuff to do there. I have to say that since she's there, she added a... You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.